Listening Dog Media. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Emma Hayes has managed Chelsea Ladies since 2012. And in October 2017, she signed a three-and-a-half-year contract extension, keeping her at the club until 2021. Under her stewardship, the West London club have won the WSL title and the FA Cup in 2015, and also won the 2017 WSL 1 Spring Series. Awarded an MBE for her services to football, prior to Chelsea, Emma also managed Chicago Red Stars in the US and was assistant manager at Arsenal Ladies. Now she reveals all about another important chapter in her life. We met at Chelsea Ladies Training Ground in Cobham, Surrey, for this Emma Hayes Offside Rule exclusive. This episode has been guest edited by former Leeds player and football co-commentator Lucy Ward. The Offside Rule exclusives with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. First of all, congratulations are in order, I believe. So you have some news to share. I do. I am going to endure a nice, beautiful, long season with uh, the growth of two little twins inside um, my belly. So they're going to have to endure mummy as she screams from the sideline on a daily basis. And as I'm told on a regular basis that they adjust really quickly to how loud I can get. So, you know, look forward to a good season. We've got the Champions League thing that we're going for. So, yeah, I can proudly say I'm, I'm pregnant with twins. So how has that been in the early stages, being on the sideline, a coaching job and expecting? And we all know that the starts of pregnancy, Kate in particular, there can be a bit of sickness involved. <laughs> a bit, uh, put it mildly. I remember about 15 minutes to go in the Bayern Munich game and we'd agreed before the game that I would... I would use my voice to best effect if I felt we were struggling. But once they went 2-1 ahead, this little voice inside of me said, you need to calm down a little bit. And I instinctively put my hand on my stomach and I looked down and I thought, 
oh, that's a really weird moment. I didn't know at the time I was pregnant, but I did. I instantly sort of withdrew and I pushed one of my other assistants forward. It will live with me for a long time, that moment, because that was the first time I thought, I'm no longer doing this for myself anymore. I have to think about something else and someone else. I didn't at the time know I was thinking about multiples. <laughs> you hear a lot of women talk about the first trimester and how challenging that is, and, oh, my God, I've understood that more than than you could ever know. Um, especially I say it to the guys that I work for, yes, pregnancy is real. It's something that... Um, takes the absolute life out of you in, in that first 12 weeks. I've been sick a lot. Um, I've been really sleepy. I've got a beautiful staff and players around me that have been so supportive and understood I haven't been at my best. Sometimes I've been inconsistent with my performance. I haven't wanted to talk. I've wanted to just lay down on the couch or hang around the toilet bowl because it hasn't been the best feeling in the world. But... I think knowing in my mind that that means my hormones are working and that those two little pods are are brewing nicely in there. So that that's kept me going. And then all the fact that we've had games back to back, I haven't had time to think about it. In fact, standing still made me feel much worse. Sitting at home made me more tired. So I'm grateful when I have got a back to back accumulation because I think it makes me more efficient, more focused. And I'm not sitting there thinking about the things that... I think most expectant mothers will tell you in the first trimester is a horrendous time, but it's finished now. Well, congratulations from us, and I'm sure all the, all the, all the listeners will be passing on their congratulations. It's lovely news. And twins as well, so you are going to have your hands full. You're used to managing slightly older people, but, you know, you're going to have two, two new ones to um, juggle. Um, What's it like thinking about being a coach and motherhood? Obviously, some of your players, I know that Katie Chapman's had children while she's been at this club. Are you able to take inspiration from anyone in the game when it sort of comes to tackling this new challenge? No, well, well, absolutely. I think, first of all, I'm so grateful that I'm in the position I'm in because I nearly left it too late. And I so wish that they would have educated me at school less about sex education and more around fertility because it's been difficult for me to try and conceive it's been a it's been a challenge and I didn't think it was going to happen so I feel like I've had a miracle to be in the position I'm in um and it's often something that people don't necessarily talk about the struggle with that and yes with Hedvig and with Katie I do have two mothers in here that understand the challenges that go with that and they're two players I've discussed at different times like about wanting to become a mother among other players in here so for me I feel I know that I will feel more fulfilled and complete by doing that and I also know it'll make me a better coach as I always say I get older every year and the players stay the same age and that gap grows and I become more and more like a mother to them. Sometimes they don't want me to be, but, but there's just a natural maternal instinct. I always give off that impression I'm quite a hard ass, which I can be, don't get me wrong. But there is, I am very maternal, I'm very nurturing. I will always be looking after the emotional well-being of the environment. Male and females in here, they will always tell you that. And so for me, this just feels like um, something that's about myself and I've given my life to a career and I put this off for my career and I would have regretted it if... I can't say regretted it, I've done everything I can to put myself in this position. So I'm so thankful that I can now not only share it at the best football club in the world, 
with the best group of players and the best staff. And I mean that sincerely, but I'm doing it in an environment where I feel fully supported from the, from the board down that support me as a expecting mother of a, an elite team and, and will make sure that, that I can do my job successfully, but also take care of myself in that period. Let's go back to the beginning then now. So you've got your, your life goal, one of your life goals that you're about to achieve, but the other life goals came in, in particular orders. Let's start with growing up in Camden in London, because Camden as a place, if you haven't been to Camden in London, it's, it's very out there. I think that's how I'm going to describe it. Very out there. It has to be the sort of upbringing that I would have loved in Camden. Camden has shaped me, no doubt, because it gave me the important things, the street-wise things. You know, I grew up in flats. I grew up running around the streets. You know, I was a street urchin, no doubt. I loved it. I loved crawling about town. It was a time it was a little bit safer. But you could get up to so much mischief and nobody (laughs) would be aware whatsoever. So I'm just Camden proud completely. But it's... Listen, more... Dialects are spoken in Camden than anywhere else in the world. That will give you an idea of its diversity. And I, I, I can, I'm sad I don't live there as much anymore, even though the hustle and bustle it will drive me mad. And the locals don't go up the market, definitely not on the weekend. <laughs> we just chill out during, we go there during the week, but it's just, a, it's been a fantastic place to be raised. So, where did the football come into it? The football came into it from the flats. So I lived in a block of flats that was... The centre of it was the football pitch. And, you know, among the other childhood games you would play, the run-outs, the knock-down ginger or whatever you would play at that time, marbles, football was in the heart of that. And so my sister and I were a year and ten days apart. My older sister, five years old, had never had any love in football. So we used to just play with a Spanish family downstairs who, as a result of that, I speak fluent Spanish because of that. Um, We just started playing football and then we would play different blocks against each other. So it'd be like 10 aside, 20 aside, no bibs, no one taught you. I think I played football every day from the age of five to, you know, from three o'clock when I come home from school till 10 o'clock when the light went. And I was the middle child, so I always got away with a little more. I could come in a little bit later and just played and played and played without, at a time where there was not, no football teams. Working in the game for the last few years and, and different players that have played under you that I've spoken to, the one thing that they always say is you can't get away with anything with Emma. She hears it, <laughs> she sees it. If you think she hasn't seen it, she has. And then I find out that you wanted to be a spy and then it all suddenly clicks into place. You wanted to be a spy... I can't believe I've ended up in football. Like, I listen to Radio 4 on the way in every morning and I wait for... This is, these are probably the things that... Pe- this is, my players drop off when I say this stuff. But I wait to 6.46am every morning for the parliamentary debate from the day before because I've dreamed of nothing more than being in Parliament debating with the Speaker of the House of Commons. And... But equally, be there undercover, clandestine, <laughs> uh, involved as, you know, a secret service agent on a secret deployed mission um, to try and stop a major terrorist threat in England. Like, I am... If I didn't do football... Listen, I have no chance of becoming a spy, but that's... In my heart, I would have loved to have worked for MI5 or MI6. How far did you go down a process to start 
to yeah. start that? I went to university to do a degree in European studies and sociology in Spanish, and then I did a master's in intelligence and international affairs. But I remember being in a small units military tactics meeting about uh, sneak manoeuvres in Iraq. Listen, I never grew up with a single book in my household. It's been, I'm from a real, you know, working class family that didn't value education. Sorry, Mum, I know you hate me for saying that. So I sat there and I thought, oh, I just don't think I can kill anyone. <laughs> I just I just waded up. There was a general guy sat next to me in military uniform and he was just talking with absolute pride about coming behind someone and mm. how he was going to take them out. And I thought, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> but I learned an awful lot through my academic pursuit in politics mm. and political sociology that I think have taken into my football world. And I don't mean in terms of just how to break into somebody's house. I'm, I actually couldn't do that. I'm pretty useless to say. Yeah. Mind games, things like that, how to, how to get into an opponent's head. You know, I, I've often been accused of that. I've heard some of my players tell me what some of the opposition managers say about me, and it makes me giggle every time because I'm like, listen, it's part of the game. So I have to, I have to play that part as well as I do get the tactical element right. What do they say about you? Depends which one it is. <laughs> but I, I think it's always... I think because I've been one of the only few women to do it, I don't, I'm not in this business to be liked or be popular. I equally don't want to just be remembered for winning. You know, I've thought about this. Like, what do you want to put on your tombstone? Like, well, my friends will always... My best friends, my family, they'll always say that I am the most determined person. I, w I won't give up. I will get it there. I'll make it happen. I'm a doer. I'm one of those people. But I have a heart. I have a huge heart. And I want to do it in a way where I bring people with me and not against me. And, and I think anybody that works for me, you will have an intense relationship with me because I will make sure that I get the absolute... I'm honest as hell. I, there'd be no holding back if I think you've shirked something or I think you cut a corner or I think you're taking the piss, you'll know about it. And equally, I think the players will say that too, I'm very self-reflective and I often don't say a lot in high emotions. So I, 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 after a game, win or lose, I, don't, I do not say a lot because I think you need to watch, I think you need to reflect, I think I need to look at myself and what I could have done better and that'll always be my starting point. And I think that's how I manage to keep a dressing room going, even at times when they want to rip my head off because they know that um, I'm fair. It's not just honesty with others, though, is it? It's the honesty with yourself. I mean, when you gave up your football career, because you, you got injured and you, you had to say to yourself, this isn't going to happen for me. And that must have been a really hard point for someone who was living and breathing football so much. Yeah, it, bro it did break, it broke my heart. But uh, where I'm such a tough person and I have a tough exterior, I just was like, oh, I've got to get on with that or I've got to get on to something else. And I never wanted to talk about it. It took me a lot of years to talk about the fact that I cannot play football. I can't play football now. I can't play on a casual basis because I can't absorb any shock. And that frustrates me. But as much as I say that, I always say, people say, well, how can you do that? How can you coach? I'm like, yeah, but I'm not watching the game. I'm watching them. And that's how I feel. I'm watching people that I work for and how I can get them to the next level, whatever that looks like from a technical, tactical emotional perspective I'm constantly thinking about improving people and that's why I think it keeps me motivated to do this job because 
You have to be really, irrespective of what anybody says, you have to be so selfless. You have to be really tough-skinned because you're getting slaughtered all the time. Players think about themselves. That's it. It's all about them, their world, them playing. And you have to constantly educate them, bigger pictures in all of that. Mm. So even when you leave a player out of the side, you have to say, look, I may make this decision for tactical reasons because this is what we're trying to do in the game. And so the players need that educating too because for them, they're always used to being in fiercely competitive worlds where they've always been at the top. So the rejection, whether that's a daily rejection or just sometimes from the team on a weekly basis, that requires management. But you've got, And you have to stay on top of that stuff. If you do not do that and don't confront players then I think you're in, you're, you're on a hiding to nothing because they need it. The Offside Rule exclusives are available to download for free via Audio Boom and iTunes. It's not just about that with coaching. There's tough choices to be made. And interesting from your point of view of your career progression that you started your coaching career in America. I mean, that is probably the place that everyone wants to go to, the mecca of coaching at that point in women's football. And that's where you're starting off. So you go and you learn. And and I, I've been told the story of you you dropping a captain and a goalkeeper uh, and, and that moment and having to make those tough choices, knowing that your livelihood depends on those choices. Yeah, but it could take risks. I was 25 years of age. and But you could make risks in a place where there was opportunities, even if when it went wrong. So if you're you're a manager that drops out of the game here, especially of a female, how are you getting back? Look how long it's taken for Hope Powell to get back into job, whether she chose to or not. I'm just saying, top high qualified coach, national team coach, only just getting back into the game. Yes, irrespective of, of the choices, but I think you are scrutinised so much more as a female coach. Like that's a fact. If you if you get sacked as a as a female coach in America. I've often looked through this record in the pro. Obviously, I've been sacked out there. You're not getting rehired, but you will as a man. You've got a longer piece of string than you do a woman. And as a result of that, I think it's really tough. That's why I think it's tougher for women, not just to get in it, but to stay in it. But I was lucky to be in a place where I knew Title IX was going to place me next to some guy somewhere, and I'd sit there and think... We're equally qualified. I'm definitely getting the job. Now, imagine that what that did for my confidence and the head start it gave me. Of course, I have to have the ability and all the other things. But to be given that opportunity meant I could grow. I could make mistakes. I could fail. I did that out of the spotlight. I did it over a lot of years. I did it without any money. I did it with declined visas, you know, working in America. And all the things that went along with the lifelong experiences I think has made it so much easier for me to come back home and come to a big club like Chelsea and and take it from the place we have to now. I found this to be a doddle compared to what I've been through because it, you know, I think importantly, forget the resilience. It did, it gave, listen, I'm naturally confident, but it really, even with the rejection, it gave me the confidence to say, listen, I, I, I can do this, even in such a male-dominated environment, which the women's game is. Tell us what happened at, Chicago, because that was your kind of major club over there, wasn't it, really? You did get sacked from that, but you were also dealing with a lot of different personalities on the field and lots of changes um, in terms of ownership off the field. I was 
pleased when the, they pulled the trigger in the end. I was thinking, I, I can't do it and I need to step away from it. And I think I needed that failure more than anything because I, 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 I felt burnt out. From, I felt burnt out from a, a journey that had taken me quite a while. But I also needed to really learn what I needed to do better going forward. And I think as a result of that, oh, there's no doubt in my mind I've... Uh, the firing was the best moment I had because that's shaped me ever since then. And I think I'm a much better coach for it. I'm I'm more brutal than ever, but I also think I'm more thorough, more detailed, more... Um, I analyse characters much more before they come in here. Like, I really vet... I, I vet them and interview them as much as MI5 do. <laughs> and Those skills, skills are coming through. So yeah. for you... Let's get this right. There might be the most talented, gifted footballer out there, a real catch in terms of what they can do on the field. They could almost win you the title by, by themselves. They are that good. But if they're not the right personality, they're not getting in? Yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't mean I won't take challenging players, for sure. I've, I've managed a lot of challenging players in my career. But you've got to get the balance right in the squad. It's all about the makeup and whether you can absorb a certain type of character and how you think that's going to go. And I'm very keen on having an environment. Listen, we're humans. We moan by nature. But as long as I can be in an environment where I don't walk out the door and feel like there's a blade in between my, my back, that for me is what I work for. And if I think a player is going to come in here and undermine the environment, it's not about undermining me. You can challenge me. Not, not a problem. But if I think you're going to run the mine or slowly ebb away at those things, then then I definitely... I can think of players that are not in a Chelsea shirt because I, I couldn't trust that they would protect the integrity and the values of what we're building. And even if I think they were players that would have been good enough for us to win the league at a point in time, I, st I would never have compromised it. If players are listening to this, I think it's an important thing to hear. If a coach is recruiting you... And they don't know you, or you're trying to get to know them. I think there's nothing worse than when you slag off your previous coach. That's a red flag immediately for me. Don't know that person, trying to build a relationship. But if instantly it's a finger pointing at someone else, that will give me a warning sign. So that's an example of something. The next is if I don't hear ambition in the voice. So it doesn't matter. Look, everybody deserves to be paid for what they do. But ambition... How are you going to improve something to to take it further or your, your ambition for the place you're going to? You know, and often you'll hear, you know, I really I, I really want to be a part of making history for Chelsea. That, tick. You've, tick, because you've, you're, it's a bigger picture item and it's about being part of something. So if I don't hear those sort of things, it's not something I'll revisit, it'll end there because then I will question that, person when I leave a room and I will worry about that but if I hear I've got a current player here who's a and I think it's fair so I you know I hope she doesn't mind me naming her but I will it's Ramona I interviewed Ramona for an hour and a half and I had two pages of questions and we had never met each other and I called her and my first question to her was if you could do Wolfsburg again what would you do differently and she said, I wouldn't change so much of myself. And I, and I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I, I was a you know, big individual at Malmo and I, I wanted to work at being a better team player in different areas of my game, but I changed too much of that. I lost part of myself. I thought, what a reflective answer. 
um, because I came across an individual that is a fantastic team player in her heart and, you know, that balance between how to do that and then how to be at your to, to keep your best individual attributes is always a challenge. And I had... I think it's fair to say I'd probably had the best hour and a half interview I'd ever had with any player I'd sat down with and thought, I, 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 not only can I coach you, I'm looking forward to the journey we're going to go through with that. And so, you know, it goes both ways. You, I also went in going, well, you know, why hasn't Ramona Batman done well at, at Wolfsburg? You know, you can start to put things in your own head. Well, maybe she wasn't this and maybe she wasn't that. And you know what, sometimes... It isn't the right time and the right place for a player. It doesn't mean that there was anything wrong with a club at the time or that player. It just wasn't the right timing. So, you know, sometimes you you get you get lucky with those situations where it does benefit you. What about when the player's already in the team, already in the squad? And there's difficult situations and you've got to manage those. I mean, looking back and reflecting on your career, whether it be here or in America, on those occasions, can you give us examples of how you've managed them? Well, I t- I'm, you know, the, the, I, I, I manage them head on, that's for sure. Whether I know there's an issue going on in their personal life, uh, their family life, I will get them in. I, I'm famous for making you cry because I'll go straight to your heart. Have you got tissues, Kate? <laughs> yeah. You've got to be a psychologist to do this job. But I, I will sit down and say, listen, I know this is going on. Um but your form's really struggling. And does it have anything to do with that or is it something else? Um, more often than not, it usually isn't what you think it is. You sit there and you've got to get to the heart of that matter. And then you've got to find a solution for that. And that solution might be something you do with them, you work with them, or it might be where they might need some individual support with that. Mm. Um, often I'll deal with that. Sometimes it's... Uh, you know, there'd be all, all sorts of things, you know, um, whether it's temporary sort of mental health issues with players. I've been through situations with players where I knew they were having such tough, tough times and, and it's not going to end quickly. But you're the manager when you've got a player going out there and their form is terrible and everybody just looks at that and say, why isn't that player so playing so well? And you, you can't get, you know, can't necessarily solve that, but you have to stand by them. And that loyalty will put you in good stead down the road. But you might lose something as a manager in that short term because you might not get the performances or even the results that come. But the people's lives matter and you've got to stand by them in in difficult situations. So, yeah, situations like that or even, you know, know, more recently players that felt they were subjected to racism at the national team level. Um, dealing with both sides of that and and how they have to navigate their way through that to have a successful solution. And what I'll always say to the players, well, what outcome do you want? Mm -hmm. What do you want? And then we'll work back from that because normally that will be the the starting point and then we'll find, you know, a happy medium and often several conversations about it. So the thing about the earlier examples you gave are that they're in-house and they're private. They're usually in the dressing room. We all know about what happened with Eni, um, and, and that was a very public situation. For you as a coach handling that, not only did you have Eni as part of your team and you got to look out for her welfare, but you got returning players from England who were also feeling hurt by the situation. So that must have presented you with maybe one of the biggest challenges yet. 
absolutely. I've no point denying that. But as I said, I, I said deal with it head on. I am the person who deals with the elephant in the room <laughs> all the time. And I think that's the way to go. So the way you do that, as there would be a phrase I'll use all the time, zoom out and put yourself in somebody else's shoes. How do you think she feels as being there as an England player and a Chelsea player in the middle of that while things are going on? Or how would you feel if you're a black woman in that situation being subjected to that type of comment? You know, think about that. You know, how would how would that feel if you are sat at home and you're sat there with a grandparent or somebody else and you're hearing that stuff about you on the television what sort of support would you want to receive from your teammates so I often do a lot of that type of work and yeah they won't be easy they're young people that that need work too on their on their emotional development but it's easy for me to say that at 41 and often I'll say that to them it is easier for me to say those things but that's wisdom for you and you you know and I think being dealing with that privately uh, with players is important but also have consistency in that behavior so and and I'm always consistent and I think you know the situation um, the more recent situation I thought we handled it brilliantly internally Mm -hmm. and and I think as a result of that it was a, a real reason why the team did kick on because we dealt with what was my one of the most trickiest time in my career too um and for the game um, and, and we came out of that the other side, I think, with everybody being a little more appreciative um, that everybody suffers one way or the other and we just need to be a little more um, intuitive and, and maybe empathetic. I focus a lot on empathy. It's essential that Chelsea, as a club, managed to handle that situation well because watching the developments, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, but there must have been part of you with how the FA came out of that case that was furious with how they'd handled it but not only that you're also being linked with an England manager vacancy very short afterwards which is working for the FA I mean how are you feeling about that well you know I'd I'd made no secrets I'm perfectly happy here my head was never on England so I think that's a non-starter but I am you know part of a game where, quite honestly, I've seen an awful lot of sexism and crap banter over the years that I think has been out of control. And no matter what anybody says, I mean, everybody's going to have a a different idea and opinion about this conversation. But I've been a part of plenty of dressing rooms or around the women's game where I think there's been some disgraceful behaviour. And I do think it was a watershed moment. And I think it was an important one because it's one that says... Listen, we need a grievance process. That's absolutely important. And we also need to to understand that certain sort of, I call it non-league banter, is not welcome, in, if you want to call it that, in, in, in our game. Even if we, that's, we've been accustomed to that you know, an awful lot of years. Um, and I think it was about saying, look, it's important that all of us think about our behaviour, what we say, how we say it. And I say that every day in this environment, and I think um, that was just an example of how, you know, f- for the right reasons, you know, it needs to be put to the front of people's conscience. Um, and sometimes it takes a really difficult situation, like nobody wants to see an England manager sacked. I'm a manager at the end of the day, I don't want to see a manager sacked from, from their job. But I also think that it's important that we do recognise that 
it's not okay to behave in certain ways and that we need to just call that out and but equally let's give the FA the opportunity to to learn through their process because the game has grown so quickly sometimes the institutions that are running the game don't quite catch up at the same level that the the development has happened and I think I'm not the sort of person, I'm the person who says we need to be supportive of finding the right solutions rather than just sabotage and, and destroy. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Offside Rule TV, for exclusive video football content. I'm seeing so much in the press about harassment, about abuse on many different levels. Are there stories to come from, from the women's game? Is there the fear that even though the Mark Sampson chapter's closed and the FA have been reprimanded, I suppose, by us within the game who think that they didn't behave in the most appropriate way, is there the danger now that, 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 that the game's going to suffer again? Because there is a lot in the press and a lot of people are talking and saying, hang on, this isn't acceptable and absolutely right that, that they should talk. But what's that going to do for the game? Well... You can't have both sides. You can't sit there and say, we want the press, we want the notoriety, we want everything that goes with it, and, and then start controlling that. You have to, just like the footballers across the street, have to worry about what they're doing when they come out at a nightclub at three in the morning or, you know, what they're doing in their personal lives. It's the scrutiny that comes with the profession, hence the reason I always say to the players, you're a professional. Mm. So... And that includes the coaches and everybody involved with it. We're no longer an amateur sport at the top end. Um, we have responsibility. We have a duty of care. Thank goodness now there are certain rules being changed so that there is an acknowledgement that those that are in charge of younger people uh, are subjected to the same criminal laws that, that teachers would be um, for any inappropriate behaviour. Because I think it's important that if you want professionalism, then standards have to go alongside that and then we have to adhere to that. And uh, of course you're going to re receive a degree of negative criticism in the first stages, but that means that everybody's behaviour has to improve. Mm. So for me, that is a step in the right direction, but it's not going to be an overnight thing. Mm. But I think it's about uh, everybody sort of, you know, everybody, somebody said it to me the other day, we know we're in a time and an age where everything's about feminism. And I'm like, no, no, it's just about being awake. It's about being conscious of, yeah, being conscious of people around you. You can't just say something because you've always said it. You have to be, you have to just be reflective all the time of what you're doing. And it's not just because you're in a position of power. I think that speaks true of anywhere. Um, and I think holding each other accountable to that is only going to improve positions for anybody in life. You know, with the women's football will grow while there is a growing reputation about uh, what women contribute. And for me, I'm always, you know, my marketing team are not in this room, but I'm always so proud when I see the scores of young boys coming to our games. Because for me, that's what needs to change. We always talk, like, I always talk about this. You know, everyone talks about women being role models. Why have we always got to be bloody role models? We are champions. We can be lots of other things as well. But I love nothing more than seeing 14, 15, 16-year-olds on the terraces now that know all the players' names. And for them, they're just foot, good good footballers, got good techers, got whatever they like, the latest, the latest languages at that age. And with the criticism or the attention will come some fans underneath that as well. But I think it's going through, it's got some real growing pains at the moment that will take some time to resolve. 
And hopefully with that, you know, those changes come at the very, very top end to make sure that the women that, that are representing organisations such as the FA are supported and feel safe and protected to do that. And that equally we have open, transparent processes so that it doesn't feel like, oh, it's the women's game, hush it under the carpet or shut mm-hmm. it up quite quietly. I think those days are gone and with that you've got to expect the media notoriety. Your players, your, your female players and your male staff and female staff can come to you with anything. And that's a huge deal here. You must be very proud of that as well. Have there been instances in your career, sexism, harassment, where you've not been able to go to anyone? And is that part of what makes you the person you are today? No, I'm in the minority. I've had a really wonderful time. I have, I've not, the, the, the males I've been involved with in the coaching courses, yeah, you'll hear little things where you think, oh gosh, that's not really appropriate. But I normally tell them, they just say you can't say that oh why not and but I always think you know I'm very much of the opinion you've got to get amongst people you can't I'm not someone who isolated myself on a women's only course it would never have worked for me put me on with the boys I can have a glass of wine with them in the evening and then say to them I'm still going to do you in a football quiz anyway even if you lot think your stats are half decent I mean for me it was about um, I'm a massive football fan so f- I have always pitted myself to the top end of the game and there weren't many women to be around like that so it was natural for me to be around you know scores of so many men in the game and I've had nothing but good experiences I probably do have but none that scarred me enough what I have done is make sure that any of the men that come to work for me they often they come from the men's environment oh and they are just terrified little sods because they're so used to survival of the fittest get your nose in front you know don't upset anyone he can take my job and I've been very much about getting them to be more emotive more emotionally intelligent that make them better coaches uh more intuitive with certain things how to and often I'll say my job is to make you a better husband first if I can do make you a better husband, then I'm going to make you a better coach. And if we focus on that, because you keep telling me how well you know women, and I'll often challenge him on that, and but at the same time allow them the opportunity to say, oh, you know, but you girls take it a little too harshly. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that. But now let me teach you about a woman's brain. And then I'll tell you why we take it that way. And now when you've got the same situation again, do me a favour and try and manage it like that. Then you tell me what the outcome's like. I'll never tell you what to do. And then I'll often let them go away and they'll go and work at that same situation differently and they'll come back and they'll say, I've got a hug. Oh, <laughs> but I didn't know whether I could hug her. I'm like, oh, come on, we don't have to be... We're not ridiculous at the same yeah. time. If a woman's crying and she's in need of that at the moment, you can put your arm around <laughs> her and say, oh, it'll be all right. Because that's part, for me, of the joys of having men yeah. on staff because their tos- testosterone just breaks through so much estrogen fueled environment and around the menstrual cycle forget about it the boys are absolutely crucial i need them more than ever to get their cavemen chest out and get amongst it because otherwise it'll be like a cat fight out there can i slip in quickly and ask whilst whilst we're talking about male staff and the men's and women's game will we ever see you in charge of a men's team, a, a professional men's team, or will we see any other talented female coach in charge of a men's professional or semi-professional team? 
Well, I think there's more chance of me being in charge of a men's professional team than there is of me being the England manager. <laughs> I, I can't say never, but it doesn't float my boat, international football. I'm not someone who wants to... I'm not, I don't feel old enough yet where I can do a game once a month and a camp every 10 days up at St George's Park. I go bonkers. I know myself well enough. I, could I see myself going into the men's game? Well, I wanted to become a parent first, so... Ask me when my little budding ones are less of a drama for mummy and see see where I am at that point. Could I, would I do it with the right opportunity in my career? Yeah, I would. I definitely, I wouldn't be frightened of doing it, but it's, as I always, I was telling, I was telling Joey Barton this the other day when he, he came up to me, he said, you need to coach in the men's game. And I said, listen, I'm not an idiot. You You, you can't go into certain situations without the right, set up around it first of all we need the right board two what's your recruiting like for that level I'm used to recruiting female players all over the world I know all the agents from the women's game that's a whole different world it's a whole different set of skills you need to learn or people you need to hire to have that so I'd have to think about it in the right way possible if the right opportunity was there I don't see that happening for a long time to come yet for me but could I see it happening in my lifetime once yeah Either that, or I'm going to go and be Prime Minister. <laughs> Either or. Lucy Ward, commentator, is editing this podcast, and she's actually put forward some of the suggestions for questions for you. And I'll uh, use one of her questions here to kind of wrap things up. Um, she talks about growth within the game when she's um, giving us some notes for you. What needs to happen in the win- women's game? We've talked a bit about what, what what needs to happen on an international level. What needs to happen domestically in the next five, ten years? Well, I think we're making the right changes with minimum standards. I understand the arguments of smaller clubs and the positions they're in, but you can't. You have to have a minimum standard and level of professionalism for the game to start growing. You need to have a bigger games programme. One where somewhere along the line someone's having conversations with FIFA in the international calendar because 10 days every month is just ridiculous. That needs to change. In my honest opinion, I, don't, I think that's out of control. But then you've got to get it right between the ages of 16 and 22. So take a club like Chelsea. I can't sign a young English player until they're 18. And more often than not, I can't sign them because they've all been offered a full scholarship to go to America. They then go out and they're four years somewhere else and people will then start saying, oh, but we're just signing a lot of internationals into our game. You know, if 50% of the under-20 team is playing out in the USA, we've got, we've got to do everything to keep our players in this country. And that's not saying that clubs don't take responsibility in that, along with the FA. But we've got to be in a position where they're at home, going to universities locally, and then they're within clubs and training full-time. Maybe at the top clubs that there will be a loan-like pro- programme, just as there is in the men's game. But they're among, uh, amongst us on the system because... Unless that happens, you're going to see a dearth of average foreign international players come into the league because they are more readily available. So I think if we want to protect the England game, no, it's not about quotas. It's about getting it right between that age group. Which I think I know Dave Faulkner, who I think does a terrific job for the FA, will sort that part out. And then I think we need to hold the FA accountable to the commercial end of it. You th- I think that I had a phone call about changing the Arsenal game on Arsenal uh, on January 7th to a Thursday night. And I'm like, well, we don't get a pound from BT Sport yet. 
We put a lot of dollars into marketing that game, yet we've got to move it quite quickly to three days earlier. It's a London derby that does nothing for crowd attendance. And I respect that it's important that we get airtime, but we have to. Th- I think the FA need to acknowledge they've given something away and that, they, that we need to to put it in the position where somebody's tendering for that contract and that, for me, that's when the trickle-down effect happens where that money can then go to the smaller clubs. It's not about the big clubs getting it, it's the smaller clubs. And I think we need to really start to commercialise our game because, it's not for me, it's not all about bums on seats. That grows with time. But it's about how do you work within your club so that your you're constantly working with your commercial department so that you're either getting a percentage of new commercial deals or that you're in a position that you're getting new commercial partners to the club. I think about what Chelsea are doing, you know, they're they're very much um, fans of, if you want to come and be a commercial partner of Chelsea, you have to be involved with the ladies' team as well as the men's side. And I think once you start to get that right, then, then you'll see more and more investment into the game. But a lot of growth on the commercial side for me. Let's give your final word to your job here at the moment at Chelsea Ladies, because you've signed a brand new contract. You're going to be here for a while longer with, with two babies in tow as well. Champions League quarterfinals. <laughs> we, we should also mention Champions League quarterfinals. Yes, and domestic success yeah. as well. And all of this because of a dream. You had a dream that your destiny was at Chelsea, this dream that you had. What else was in this dream? What happens? Well, I, I, when I think about what that clairvoyant said to me, and I do think about it sometimes, I honestly can't believe it. Like, I really can't. She mentioned th- I'd have three children. That was the only thing. That, she did say I'd cycle and swim <laughs> a lot, which I do. I swim all the time, which is pretty mental. Maybe the third child is the club of Chelsea. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, actually, that <laughs> yeah. makes an awful lot of sense. I'm definitely married to this place. But I think the... I've always said, for me, the biggest legacy for me is knowing I can walk out that door and that this place will continue to run in exactly the same way. And I'm certain of that. Methodologically on the pitch, everybody is schooled into the way that we're working so they understand physiologically how to prepare players. Technically, tactically, I could leave here and I wouldn't bat an eyelid that this place would continue to thrive. For me, that is the best legacy. But I absolutely want the Champions League. Anybody that knows me knows that that is what I, I, I want this club to go after. I think we we deserve to be amongst Europe's elite. I think our performance is showing in that. I think we're maturing into a top club. And I think domestically, look, we're always going to have competition from two or three clubs at this moment in time. And that's hard, um, especially with the game scheduling with the Champions League and everything. But as long as we're competing, as long as we're fighting, and as long as they're running around for me, then I, I will be there. The minute they stop doing that, then I'll give everybody a break and I'll drift off in the sunlight and I'll go and run Covent Garden FX, do something <laughs> different for a bit. We wish you well in that challenge. And the fact that you said that you can just leave and it will continue ticking over, that bodes well for maternity leave, doesn't it? Yeah, that was that was a good little hint there, you know what I mean? But I'm not going to take long off, to be honest with you. I'll be back. I'll be ready for pre-season. Congratulations again from us. It's wonderful news. The Offside Rule Exclusives is produced by Offside Productions and edited by Lucy Lavery. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.